Can I say I won't give it up? Mike Florio. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Good I to like, see you. I like the crib. Oh, thanks. You got that backsplash. It's, it's nice. There's a... It's, there's an essence of... There's a whiff of sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that out. <laughs> no way. That's Bro, this best. is a sexy mic, too. That's the best... Hit me. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be one for the books, I'm pretty sure. This might go four hours. <laughs> Sun's coming up. All the booze This is, is like some VH1 behind the music shit. Yeah. I feel like music should be playing. I'll dub some in after. Okay. <laughs> Not how I would do it, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you considered... <laughs> Mike Florio... Share with me some early musical memories. I know that you grew up in Patterson, New Jersey. Yeah, I, well, I was born in, in Patterson, and I left Patterson when I was maybe five. We went to West Patterson, mm-hmm. and then I spent a year in in the Cherry Hill area down by Philadelphia. My father mm-hmm. started a business, and we were there for a year. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then we ended up in Totowa, which is a suburb of Patterson, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's still in that northeast quadrant. So mm-hmm. you know, it it, it Totowa was like you know there's tough parts and nice parts, and mm-hmm. you know, but that's where I spent the last eight years before we moved here. And what was the music in the in the crib? Anything that swung. I mean, it yeah. was all swing and yeah. and uh, blues and lots of uh jazz guitar players uh all the jazz guitar players um organ trio stuff anything that's anything that would swing a sunday morning uh in my house smelled like breakfast cigarettes and and groove yeah (laughs) because that's what he was into my father yeah and he played right he played the guitar he played the guitar he was he yeah, no. He was a jazz guitarist in the style of like a Barney Kessel, or 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 maybe a, like a hint of Kenny Burrell, but he, uh, with no formal training, he yeah. just sort of figured it out, which is a fucking miracle. I right. mean, he had harmony together, and he could swing, and he, hmm. and it was. I would look at it and go, man, because first of all, the guitar is it's hard. I think it's the hardest instrument, hmm. and this cat just kind of had some stuff together and and it was a hobby Mm -hmm. Mm. and yeah that was Hmm. that was my dad (laughs) (laughs) and when did you like what what groups were inspiring to you and and how did that lead to you playing the drums well um the group thing came later so i was probably six or six or seven and he had drums Mm -hmm. and i I remember um, we were in West Patterson and, and one of my favorite childhood homes and he brought me in the kitchen and he set up like, I can't remember exactly what, like uh, the plastic lid of a coffee can and a, a, like a book of matches and he said, do this and count the four with this hand and then on two and four, hmm. play your left hand and on, on your foot, do this. Hmm. And I did that. And I'm, and we went in the living room, and he put on that "Taste of Honey" by Herb Albert, mm-hmm. and I was just playing along. Mm-hmm. And he called my mom, Linda, you know, <laughs> and, and that's kind of how it started. Wow. And uh, yeah. So he was encouraging. 
Yeah, he was encouraging. He was encouraging until he wasn't. No, right. he, he was right. encouraging, and then he. I think that he learned. In, he learned in a way that was tactile. So he. I don't think he wanted that for me. So, you know, he later on. You know, fast forward five years, he got me drum lessons, which I, that's not how I learn. Right. You know, I, I'm. Right. I'll. Sh- I need to learn the tunes when we're playing them. I'm not going right. to show up and and know a bunch of tunes. I just. It's just some something's missing for me, but. He hovered, and you know, I did the practice pad thing, and it was like, nah, this is right. This is so. He, I told my younger sister he was more of a detriment than anything else <laughs> later on, but certainly my first influence. And he, you know, took me to jazz clubs when I was ten. Yeah, and yeah. Sat me on bar stools. Right. You know? So I mean, and and any of those experiences kind of stick out. Sure. You? There's the first one. Uh, so. Totowa butted up against a, another town called West Patterson. So there were, there were three towns, Totowa, West Patterson, which has a different name now, and Little Falls, because Patterson had the Great Falls in the silk mills. And, and the Passaic River was the common body of water. And so you would literally drive three minutes up the street, cross over um, the Hillary Street Bridge, and a couple blocks down was a famous jazz club called Gulliver's. Huh. And it looked like, it looked like Voce was like a four-star Gulliver's, you know. <laughs> and he took me to see Joe Morello, the famous drummer from yeah. Dave Rubeck, and I was ten. And that's the night that I got hooked. I huh. Morello came in and, and he blew my mind. And and I I told the story. I think I sent it to you. He he was going blind, or he was partially blind. They let him behind the bar, and he poured a beer over ice, a dra- and that fascinated me because. There was, there was plenty of beer drinking in our house, but never over ice. Right. And I brought, I said, Dad, he's having a beer with ice. Yeah, and he said, I think he owns part of the joint. <laughs> I don't know what the joint is. <laughs> and then he said, uh, and then it dawned on me. I said, wow, you can own a club, play the drums, and pour drinks. <laughs> and that was the inspiration, right. like, you know, 37, 40 years later for Proche. Right. Like, yeah, that's why, that was my, right. that night. And watching guys sit in going, I, I want to be part of something like this. Yeah. I think I, I have a similar dream uh, of owning my own club, playing when I want to, sitting at the bar for a drink, but, but having it, you know, setting the table, so to speak. I, I'm, I'm creating, cultivating this, this vibe. Right. And I can either be a part of it musically, but it's going to represent me, but it's going to be about music and, you know, good f- booze and food, whatever. Um, I don't think it's in the cards for me, but yeah, look, it's a good idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in it with you. Yeah. Don't do it or use someone else's <laughs> dough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a ton of questions about Voce Lounge, Yeah. but let's talk about um, coming to Arizona. And and yeah. what that what how that affected your trajectory? Well, um, so my father was a construction worker, and as he as he entered his forties, his you know his body was pretty beaten, so he was looking for something else to do. And we bought what you call I, they're probably in Mass a candy store. So a candy mm-hmm. store has mm-hmm. a, a soda fountain with newspapers, and mm-hmm. and we did that for a few years. And then he started reading Arizona Highways. And, you know, there's no internet at the time. And he had this Jones to come here. Huh. And we all sort of inherently knew, like, well, maybe it's 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 the right thing to do for this cat, you mm-hmm. know, 
I mean, my older sister was in the middle of her senior year of high school. Oh. And I was in the middle of my junior year. Wow. And we That's split. Tough. Yeah. But it was cool, though, in some sort of way. Look, I don't think I would have graduated from high school if we didn't move out here, man. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because you needed, like, one credit out here at the right. time. You know I mean? Back there, it was like getting a master's degree. Yeah. But uh, he has certainly... Uh, it was strange because uh, I wasn't immersed in music, per se. I mean, I was listening to a lot of stuff, but... I got here and it was, we got off to 17 in Van Buren mm. and my mother dials the phone because he's staying with my aunt and I grabbed the phone and he didn't yell at my father, but I was like, where the hell did you bring us? This is like, this looks like Passaic, New Jersey and there's some palm trees and weird hotels. I'm like, what the, what the fuck are we, man? But uh, yeah, it was brown and the houses were weird looking and yeah. I didn't know what culture was, but it certainly seemed void of culture. I was like, right, right. You know, it, huh. the city now, there's been a maturation, you know, right out here on 7th. I mean, yeah. there's all this cool kind of stuff happening. But it, I don't know where that was back then. I was too young. Yeah. And confused. Was this, this what, m- mid-70s? November 1977. So I'm 16 the next month. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Hmm. And and do you have any other memories of, of, of downtown at that moment? No, I never I never gone downtown. What I did do though is there was a a jazz station in New York called WRVR, and I recorded hours and, and hours of jazz onto cassette uh-huh. because I thought we're going to Arizona. There's fucking cowboys out there, <laughs> and I came here and one of the greatest jazz stations in the world was here, and it was called uh, fuck I can't think of the name of it. KXTC. Huh. It was better than RVR. Huh. Wow. And then, like, I want to say, like, a week after we left, RVR went country. Not, like, at 11.50 p.m., they played Mingus, Goodbye Pork Pie Hat, and then at midnight was Hello Country by Willie Nelson. Wow. Yeah, so it worked out. Timing was right. But I had, like, 12 cassettes with hours and hours. <laughs> because awesome. I thought, you know, it's like when my grandfather first came, he brought olive oil, cheese. He, he thought he was coming to the Sahara <laughs> Desert. Man. He brought wine, you know. <laughs> you know, so yeah, so, but I mean the early the early stuff. I mean I like Chicago and horn bands and yeah. and and a ton of jazz and a ton of jazz drummers and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know a lot of stuff I called guilty pleasure because my father didn't readily accept it, hmm. so I kept it to myself. Pet sounds and stuff like that. Okay, I mean? yeah. okay, so kind of a little bit more of the pop stuff then. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed pop yeah. music, but it was like. We we get in fights over jazz. You know, right. I'd be listening to Weather Report, and he'd be telling me there's no melody and it's not swinging. And then we would like, Jesus. Yeah, because he's not, what? Because it's not a thousand-year-old jazz guitar player. You know, but, but it's cool. It was cool. Yeah. And in his palette expanded as he got older, which was nice. He would listen to me and to different things. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Did you do, did you do the college thing? I did two years at Scottsdale College, and they gave me a... They call it a scholarship, but I don't know. I mean, it wasn't very... And I quickly realized that... I was 17 when I graduated and didn't turn 18 till December. I quickly realized that if I cut class, there was no ramifications, number one. Number two, God bless Scottsdale Community College, but it wasn't a strong program. The real program was Mesa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There were there was Grant Wolf and Don Bothwell over there and drummers and... and, and you had Ray on the yeah. Ray was it was all these cats that could they could fucking play and they yeah. sounded so good man yeah and I was like okay well hopefully I can meet some guys and my second year I met a guy who wasn't there he was a guitar player who made a band and I started working like gigging uh-huh and so that that's was the upside of that 
other there wasn't a lot together there there's probably more now i don't like i said i don't mm-hmm. want to diss the school yeah but yeah so li- teenager started working yeah so i was uh 18 when i started gigging hmm. i mean like gigging like mm-hmm. like putting a dent you know making money and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing what was the what was the style it was the top 40 band and the, what's interesting is it was the band was called oasis and everyone broke our balls. Like everyone was like Oasis. What? And then there was a famous band, Oasis, right? Right. right sure. And then uh, the guy's name, and I love this guy to this day because I learned so much. Dave Dupree's a great guitar player, and um, he started saying, "I don't want a gig anymore. I want to do originals." And I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. And he had a studio in his bedroom and Simmons drums. Yeah. And we started recording and writing original tunes. Cool. And. I wanted to work. I had to get a day gig now because we weren't, we were original <laughs> right. band. So, right. but we ended up in, uh, in the village shopping, literally walking in with demos. Really? Yeah. I was probably in my early twenties. Yeah. Well, Island records, which yeah. I just walk right in. Right. Yeah. Put your tape on the, on the desk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And get Check a, get a weird look. Right. And you know, I was, I was still a little bit of Jersey in me. I was like, just listen to the fucking thing. All right. <laughs> you know? I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> yeah. Listen to it. Listen, if, if you're here and you didn't listen to it. <laughs> anyway. some words. But yeah, so that, that's pretty, so this is, has to be, yeah, this is, um, shit, 79, 80, 81. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And what, what happened to that band? I mean, did, I mean, you know, I I wanted to, I think, I mean, it's, I wanted to work. I didn't want to work a day gig. So I, I think I got a gig with some lounge band and he was very disappointed in me. And I understand, but it's like, I, I don't want to lay floor tile or I want to, I want to play the drums and I want, that's my goal. Mm -hmm. And I kind of inherently knew that it was a launching, I wasn't, it wasn't a jail sentence to play at the Camelback Inn for 10 weeks. It was just a way to make money, and, mm. and we'll see what happens. I'm wondering if really kind of the, 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 the linchpin to having a successful performing career is you have to have a very strong work ethic. You have to take no. You have to change it to a yes, like all that shit. You have to work hard. You have to show up on time. You know, all that shit. I, I think the work ethic thing for me came later, but you also, you you know, you're practicing eight and 10 hours, but it doesn't feel like it's work. Right. And I didn't have a, f- a formal teacher or former, a formal education. I'm in there trying to figure out what guys are playing on records. Mm-hmm. And, and it's blissful. And I'm in there eight hours, and finally there's a knock on the door. All right, enough. In which I thank both of my parents for yeah. that. You know, I, I feel like I've worked hard on things, management and music, but not worked hard like my parents worked hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I loved every second. Even the most mm-hmm. angsty battle with somebody was just like, <laughs> was fun in some sort of weird way. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, no, that is a good point, though. Like, you think about the work ethic of, your father's generation, my father's generation and what they had to do and what they had to, you know, just to, just to get it over. And here we are. No, I'm just going to play music. Yeah. Like slackers. What? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they get up every day and do the same shit. My father's a sort of a Renaissance guy. You know, he can, 
He's a fucking jazz guitar player. Who? What kind of hobby is that? Right. And like, sounds pretty good. <laughs> and there's a culinary thing, and there's a style thing, and he's in architectural design school, and he's an apprentice and a cameraman for NBC in New York, and he's doing this over here. Yeah. He's a stock market sort of uh, servant, and he's got all of these things. Yeah. He's squashed because of you know the generation before him, and it's like every day, man. Right. You get up and you go fucking grind. Right. You come home. You have dinner, you watch the fucking news, and right. go to bed the next day. We're like, every night is different. Right, right. Right? We Oh, we took a shit last night. Well, we get a new shot tonight. Right. Oh, we were great tonight, and then we chased that for nine months. You right, know? So, right. Yeah, as hard as I've worked, I, I didn't work like my father or his father. I yeah. didn't work like that. That's I, a it's, it, it, it's been a... It's been a... It's been fun right it's been i've had a ball right i lived my wildest dreams right even even boche yeah was you know i remember when the dad put in 20 hours i'm painting because shit's just this is broken that's broken you know i'm i feel like i'm alone and then i gotta play it and i i wouldn't trade that for anything right right so i mean i never worked like my old man yeah he didn't love being a construction guy right. you know sure. what i mean right right and i think that's why he loved the club yeah. Especially on a night of jazz. Annie Selleck or somebody like that, he'd come in. Oh, there's an upright bass player. Uh, he wouldn't get a tab. You know, we'd argue. And <laughs> those are the best times ever, man. Right, right. He told me I had balls of steel. Who, who says that to their kid? <laughs> That's all you need, right? Uh, right. You know? Yeah. It's like, gee, you know, yeah. fucking doing it, man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, those, you know. I guess I am. Shit. <laughs> what, um, how did it, how did you go kind of from a young player um, and putting the band together uh, with Connie and, and the point, like what point that actually, that must've been way later, right? Yeah, that's way later. So, I mean, there was a lot of stuff in between. Yeah. I mean, there, there was, a, um, I, you know, I don't want to diss it. There was a lot of situations that weren't really conducive to um, <laughs> positivity. I mean, there was, there was just some bad top 40 bands and bad wedding bands. And you're bad too in those. You, there's uh -huh, n right. You know. This is the 80s that we're talking uh, about? Or like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at this point, yeah, probably mid to eight lady, uh, uh, mid to late 80s. Mm -hmm. And so. And what was the work? It Was, was it, I mean, because yeah, resorts and. Yeah, resorts yeah. And, and corporates and wedding and, and. You're playing all that stuff, all that perfunctory stuff yeah. that, that people are still doing. And God bless them, honestly. And there's some great guys doing it. But I'd rather, honestly, I'd rather remodel your house than do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, because at the end of eight hours, we, oh, we put a new floor. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right, right. You go home from those things and it's, it's, I feel like you've left your guts and your soul, you know, right. Like, What's the point? <laughs> yeah. I, I remember hearing stories. I mean, even just understanding what a PA looked like <laughs> 40 years ago. Yeah. I filled a fucking van, right? <laughs> yeah, and you yeah, had to yeah. get to the hit, what, like a wedding hit, like six hours in advance. Yeah. You load all the shit. You set all the fucking hit speakers up. You get everything. Get the lights. Roll the mixers out, the power amps, like all the shit. And then you got to go put a tux on and play for four hours. Yeah. And then you got to break the motherfucker down yeah. like, geez. Yeah. You know, it's a funny thing. So Connie, Connie Cole never did weddings. And occasionally people would ask, but she didn't do that material. Uh -huh. I mean, she wasn't, we never did obscure jet. So the couple weddings she did, 
at this point I was sort of immersed in the business. So I would do a key man clause, like a record deal. It's like only one person could talk to the band. Yeah. Right. right. No food and beverage guy, no banquet manager, just one person. And we were, I think uh, my sister was getting married and, and we had a wedding and I think I hired another drummer and then went after and, yeah. And I remember someone walking up to her. They're playing their set, and the bride, the bride, full sprint because full sprint, right, right, to bounce this person <laughs> talking to the band. Otherwise, it was off, right, yeah. right. But yeah, there's that too. I mean, you said back then you said all that shit. Now you right. said Matt Goodman is a is, you know, he has his foray now into sound, so right. he's doing a lot of corporates and stuff like this. And it's like it's more efficient, but it's still a lot of work, yeah. right? And yeah. so. Back then, it was a ton of work, and shit was heavy. Right, eighteen-inch subs. And, oh yeah, and then so now you're set up, and you've changed into your clothes, and you're getting you're getting your balls busted by people that want to hear, right? You know, right. shout. You know, right. Right. <laughs> it's like right. I'm like out. I'm done, man. <laughs> so how did you transition from that world to your residency at the point? And then obviously, I, again, we're going to get to Voce, but how did you just just kind of from a, a nuts and bolts oh, yeah. perspective, because that's that's not an easy leap in in yeah. the career. Right. Yeah. It's hard f- for or maybe maybe now um, you kind of have to do everything. You have to do corporate stuff yeah. and all that stuff fuels the original stuff, but that does, you can't really make a living off of that. So you got to do the you know, occasional way, you know, like how did you make that, that transition? First of all, on the, on the corporate, in the, those weren't my gigs. Mm. I was just oh, a okay. side man. So gotcha. I'm not invested. <clears throat> right. uh, n- no one can offend me at this point. Right. It's just like, well, it's not my problem. Right. Right. And so I think th- there's an event that happened to me in the early nineties. I met Johnny DeFrancesco, Joey's brother, around 90, I want to say 92, within weeks of meeting Connie Cole. Hmm. And uh, Johnny's, of course, I knew who Joey was. I had his record. Hmm. And his father was about to cut his first record in New Jersey at Rudy Van Gelder's, the Blue Note, like the Blue Note studio. Hmm. And uh, Johnny and I just kind of hit it off in a way, you know. He, he sort of permissed me to sort of be... Is that the word? Permissed? Permitted? I don't know. He allowed me to be sort of be who I was kind of suppressing, like mm. crazy, I guess. <laughs> and then, so he invited me. <laughs> I, I, I hardly knew him, but we went back and uh, and we're in Philly. And I had experience with Philly. And um, it, it was interesting because I had met this singer. Hmm. And she was cool and unique and had chops. And it was like, all right, well, this is something. And I met this this wild cat that has this famous jazz brother, but he's like way different. He's like Andrew Dice Clay meets Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, it's like heavy, man. Right. So I went to Philly and I met his dad. And it was, it was, I mean, we're still telling those stories. It was so long ago. But I, I specifically remember going to this old, brew house which was a jazz club called Ortlieb's and it was Joey and John and um at our banquet was the two cats from boys to men because they all went to high school I think Chris McBride might have been there huh but on stage was Bootsy Collins or not Bootsy Collins Bootsy Barnes and uh a drummer named Mickey Roker who you know he was one he played with everybody 
And Brian, this shit was so grooving and so thick. It was like a fog of thick groove and energy. And I, I was just like, what? I went outside. Yeah. I think John came out. What's the matter? I said, I, I can't breathe, man. This shit is, huh. it's so heavy. And, you know, jazz in Phoenix isn't readily available. Right. It, jazz in Phoenix comes in the way of a special event, maybe at the Nash or something, right? You can't just go, hey, Brian, let's go up the street right now. Right. And, on a Monday. On a whatever. Monday, yeah. yeah. So it really made me feel like, why am I in Phoenix? And look, there's amazing cats here. Yeah. Some of my favorite cats are here. But I came home thinking, well, I'm leaving. Fuck it. N- not that I'm good. I'm just, right. I'm going to go there and I'll get a day. I don't. Right. Thankfully, uh, Connie was on such a high level. And I, I, so I decided to do that. I, I, you know, I did the Connie thing and it was like, it was great. And, you know, it was really about, okay, let's try to put a band together. I think our first gig was like, it was a four piece and it was 250 bucks for the whole band. <laughs> Prices haven't changed. Much, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so what was the question? <laughs> well, the, the transition. Yeah. So that's the transition. So she was doing stuff that wasn't pop. She gotcha. was doing what you, what we called before it was called smooth jazz, uh-huh. contemporary jazz, which was a little bit more, um, compelling. There was a little bit more substance to it, I think. And, I was totally into it. And I was just thinking, well, you look great. You sound great. And so maybe we can get this over. And anytime we tried to do any top 40 thing, we took a total shit because I wasn't into copying. Mm. Uh, I wasn't trying to be a top 40 man. And somehow, um, you know, there was like a sort of a wormhole. We we entered Mm -hmm. a, a wormhole and got a few residencies along the way. And then one night, a fellow named Gary Lasko from the point came in and said, I really, I knew the room of course, cause there was another guy that had a 10 year residence, this lounge right. guy. He said, I really want you there. I can see it. I can see at this point, uh, we had Al Ortiz on bass and mm-hmm. so he was singing a bunch of songs. Mm-hmm. I can see him singing and you can, and he had this whole thing. Then he offered us this deal. It was, it was four nights a week, Wednesday and Thursday were six to nine and Connie didn't have to be there on Wednesday. Okay. And, they sold the room out for private parties and they'd have to buy us out. Oh, awesome. And then if we did the private party and I would have to look because if we weren't equipped to do it, you know, mm-hmm. we would just be off. And of course I hired a roadie. So right. if we, the, the first December at the point, we didn't work on weekends cause there were buyouts. Oh. We were off, the, bro, we got paid and I paid a cat. We leave Thursday. I just leave, I just leave my sticks <laughs> on the truck. <laughs> come back like the next week and everything can be set up hey, we were so spoiled man that, i was afraid to say you know, like I, I don't know i didn't tell a lot of cats because it was like i was like i'm just gonna ask for some shit and you know it just balls of steel yeah i mean it didn't well you know it didn't i mean you're playing like a phyllis hyman tune for for a bunch of people that don't want, want to hear john mellencamp it's not right. you know there's going to be a pushback but for the most part we sort of built something. I had this idea before smooth jazz to play old R and B tunes with a, you know, an improvisation sort of element to it, and 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 it kind of worked. It it became a thing. Yeah. And you know those those Hilton checks came every. People were like, how do you do ten and a half years? I'll tell you how. You a fucking Hilton check comes right. every week, man. And I just <laughs> built a house, you know. So we were like regular citizens. So wow. yeah, I mean, it, a lot of like a lot of good fortune. 
that point band in particular was magical, that first one. It was yeah. Al Ortiz on bass and vocals and Michael Bronick, Michael B. Oh, wow. Who went on to and do a grant. You know, George won a Grammy with a thing he produced. Wow. That band was, and that band went on the road because she had made her second record. So we would catch a red eye on Saturday after the point hit and we'd be back Wednesday going wow. wherever. Wow. But it, it was a four piece. It was just a four piece. But Mike wow. Bronick played huge. Wow. He knew that if he was playing a solo, he'd have to he'd have Calm. to grab a big chord to sort of fill in. Right. And it just had a little magic vibe to it, man. And I, and I was like the weakest link because you know I'm running sound, I'm doing the business. Right. And I was like, but it, that was a, that was and a lot of a lot of great musicians came through that band and the point. I mean Rachel Eckroth, <laughs> Mark Stevens, who was with Shaka Khan. Yeah. I mean, Eric Mar- Marienthal. Yeah, a lot of guys came in and guested with us too. Right. right. And um, yeah, those were the the first the first five years were real magic. Oh man. After nine eleven, shit got a little weird, but I mean, it was just it was magical, man. Yeah. And um, and everybody knew that moved to town. I I remember John Lewis, the drummer. Yeah. John coming. He just I'm John Lewis. I just moved here. Uh, Dawa was a little earlier. It was that we had a residency deal? I'm Dawel. I just moved here, and yeah. it, I'd be so happy to meet new cats. And yeah. like, uh, you, you know, there's no YouTube. It's like, well, I think you can play. So this means I can sub, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, those are magical years, man. Yeah. But you know, personally and musically, right? You know, raising a family. Yeah, I mean, doing the thing. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other thing. It's like, right. You're married. You have these kids. That's one thing, right? And then you go to work with somebody four and five nights a week yeah it, it, it gets a little wacky right it's like sometimes it's hard to separate it you know right right yeah i think about my folks you know have been working together almost as long as i can remember it's a fucking miracle <laughs> raising three boys yeah not a, I, I was like yeah but there's and they're still working together to this fucking day i mean i just but i you know you that you guys were working four nights a week, which is no no whatever easy yeah, easy you, easy run and managing a national career because well, she right. went national. So yeah. Okay, so you started managing Connie as well. That's that. She was my first quote unquote client, and it was like first we raised money to make a record. That was a whole other thing, and then that record we got a licensing deal. I didn't know anything, man. I had right. the Don one of Don Passman's earlier book. <laughs> I went to my first record label meeting with the Passman book, all highlighted with post its. Uh-huh. And I and I purposely kept the chair next to me open, and when they were talking, they were talking sync deals, and I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And my father said, "If you don't know what they're talking about, just stare at them." And years later, one of those record label guys said to me, "We didn't know what the hell you were thinking. We were scared shitless." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I was scared shitless, man." I love that advice. Just stare at them. Just stare. They'll I, break. I, I, Someone's going to blink first. It's going to be them. My grandmother had a, a brother named Louie. And, you know, th- those people all got working papers in fourth and fifth grade. Yeah, right. And right. Uncle Louie used to have a toothpick in his mouth. And he would just nod. And, like, he went to sixth grade. So he was, and I'm not disparaging. These were shrewd, smart people. They just, he would just nod. And my dad said, when you don't, you know, when you're out of your depth, just sit there and nod and look at the con- <laughs> and don't take your eyes off. And I would like find a place to look and would look at, look at his eyes. Right, know? right, right. Yeah, he's like, Mike, we didn't know what the hell you were thinking. <laughs> you need to die, man. It was like, it's I totally fine. Just don't fuck us. <laughs> so the story goes is sponsored by Gensler Amplification. Now, if you're a bass player, you probably have heard of their 
bass amps. Uh, Stanley Serrano and Tom plays it. Uh, Mel Brown, among a bunch of other incredible bass players. What I'm interested in as a singer-songwriter is their Acoustic Array Pro. It's this very lightweight, very balanced sound, very powerful, powerful uh, little combo amp that they offer. It has two inputs, so you can use one for your uh, vocal, one for your guitar, individual EQs, a little effects. It's super lightweight, which I love because when I use it, you know, for a gig, it, I could carry it in one, you know, one hand. It's fine. Um, check them out. GenslerAmplification.com. They have a whole bunch of great new stuff. G-E-N-Z-L-E-R. Amplification.com. So many people that I've talked to on this podcast refer to the point. And hmm. what a pivotal... Pivotal? Pivotal. Have another drink, bro. Okay, hold on. Give me a... <laughs> Hit that. You need medicine. <laughs> Take your medicine. <laughs> it's the allergies. And by the way, there's a fucking snake on the patio. <laughs> something. There's something lurking in the bushes. Yeah, it was piv- pivotality. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. It, 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 was, it, was where, it was where you went, like... You know, if you're new to town or you wanted to take your game to the next level, that was where you went to hear you and Connie and the band burn it down. And I mean, it's like every other conversation, someone brings up the point. <laughs> well, I think that um, the, the point when it started was it was one of those <laughs> moments in time where as a local musician you you dream of that mm-hmm. you have a guy that's a manager that kind of gets it and wants to mm-hmm. be you know uh, let me preface with this uh i was managing an artist and i had a meeting in new york with a record label and we were battling over some shit and the record label executive said to me mike your problem is Mm. you want to do things in good taste and the public just wants stuff that tastes good. The old mm-hmm. Charlie tuna commercial thing. Mm-hmm. And this was a moment in time where the stars aligned and they wanted us to do things in good taste. Mm. And that's what Connie's thing was. It was, it was cool tunes. It, it wasn't jazz, but it was cool tunes. It wasn't necessarily top 40. Mm-hmm. It was mm. three very short sets and so almost like a show approach it, that's how it felt it felt like that on the weekends for sure mm-hmm. um and i think when i don't know what was happening i was working so hard during the day on my manager my management career and on managing her and then of course the kids and the house and all that that i didn't get out anymore mm-hmm. and so that i was in a bubble and so i don't know what else was happening but mm-hmm. that was pretty happening you'd go and all the guys uh, i think i mentioned like john lewis when he came to yeah, town and yeah. of course uh, stanley serrano i remember yeah. he tells stories i don't even remember when i came to the point man and all these beautiful cats came in and yeah. and you know you have the gig so it's your gig and right. i think there's a couple things i think there there might be an opportunity so you dig it oh yeah this is cool I, I just got the Phoenix and this is cool. There's good sidemen and, and this is good and she's great and personable and they can direct me or there's, this is an opportunity or there's that. And well, and like I said, I don't know what else was happening. So mm. I, I have no idea what was happening for really? those 10 and a half years. Not an idea, not a clue. Really? 
No clue. And you were you you were gigging Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Saturday. And you as you mentioned, you would sometimes after the hit on Saturday get on a plane. Yeah. Go do a run somewhere. Yeah, so when her second record came out, she had a hit with that Blood, Sweat and Tears thing. And so we would often uh play Saturday and get on a red eye and be somewhere Sunday and that could be anywhere. Cafe Milano in Nashville, I don't know what it's called now. We could, and the that got interesting too because uh I remember doing a cruise not not as a, like a lounge band, but it was all these acts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We did three shows in a week out of, um, I want to say, I want to say Miami, but I'm not sure. Um, and then we got off the boat and Tom Serena was waiting with the van and we had to go to Crane Drews Park in Orlando, which is like an island on a little lake. And that's where the stage is. We got there and... Um, she had a big sink. The single did really well in Florida. And there's 3,000 people. It's it's a Saturday night. And I remember, I think it was it was Al and I think it was Joey Navarro. And we're, we're walking out and I go, guys, let's not forget this Wednesday at the point when there's seven people there. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. But, right. But yeah, so, and yeah, we'd get home and then we'd go back to the point. Because at this point, uh, the artist wasn't making money, you know, on these on these right, dates right i needed needed the point right in hindsight i probably wouldn't do the touring i'd just stay at the right point well it sounds like the whole like golden handcuffs thing like the, yeah. gig, the gig is too good to let go yeah uh, yeah people yeah like i said people would always say like how could how did you do that for 10 years? are you kidding me? yeah that check came every week it said hilton on it and it yep. was like are you, Never i built passed. a house right <laughs> you know right I mean? right i got to be a regular citizen but. what why why F and B's. Why are F and B's responsible for booking music? And I feel like each one has a a very different vision. <laughs> but but live music, at least a lot of the F and B's that I deal with, it's really a throwaway. Live music is a is a it's a yes. it's a curtain. It's not it's not the culture. It's not you know. Great ambiance, food, nice drinks. Where here's the weather's beautiful. The windows are open. And we have this great band. Right. Like that whole thing, I feel like is gone. Yeah, um, man. That, yeah, that that could take three hours. That, right. That, I I almost feel like let, let let's take Sanctuary Resort. Mm. Right. The chef's there. His name uh, Bo. Oh, yeah amazing chef he's on tv all the yeah. time and they care about that mm-hmm. that's important mm-hmm. you bite into a burger there that's like some other shit right mm-hmm. that drinks. bar burger yeah come on yeah, i so, get you okay bartenders are mixologists right they give a shit right what they don't give a shit about is what's happening first of all they're making guys set up on the floor right and you have to navigate the people and i think what has happened is so they care about all this stuff. And my, my thing right. is always a, a question. Why wouldn't you care about this? Right. And I'm not, everyone that plays there is great. Sounds wonderful. And I'm just saying, so. It is odd though, right? I mean. It's very odd. It's like, uh, it's like. It's almost counterintuitive. Why would yeah. you put this terrible, yeah. what, not, not even, I'm, I'm not even subjectively speaking, live music, but why would you, 
put it like stuff it in a corner a on corner. the ground right well we're also in a i call us and is it add uh-huh an add society we have all feeds and shit coming at us so fast so right. you go to somewhere like sanctuary there's four tvs on with sporting right. events not there but you so like so you have a joint there's four tvs there's an open kitchen right when fire going and shit it's right. wonderful and there's a band and there's all this shit there's all this right. energy and it's it's just so happening and it's like man i just right. my friend carlo is like bro am i weird because like my favorite idea of a hang is a banquet my friends just no tvs at durant's just sitting right. there just grooving and breaking balls i said no right. man no one knows how to do that yeah so then you have a a four top they're all on their phones, so right. there's a hundred thousand people at the table. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is, man. I don't know. Do I, you think that it it'll come back? Do you think that no. you know, like the pendulum will, will come back and and maybe there'll be a, a place? I mean, I would say the Hyatt has gotten pretty close, right? They put yeah. a stage up. They have some lights on the weekends. They have a nice, they have the nice PA yeah. sound guy. The setting is right. Like they, they've done something. Yeah, I think the guy that started that, though, the musician that started that, was was in tune with the, I guess, the food and beverage manager uh, at the time, uh-huh. and he had this vision, and the guy got it, and they bought in. Right, you're seeing the residual, and it right. it is cool in a way, but at the same time, it's not focused. Right, you don't you don't go to the high. I mean, I'd go to the high to hear somebody, but you don't. It's not focused. It's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, there's some guys playing. It's right. it's not a focused effort. Right. It's not like. The, but don't you think it could be? Yeah. Well, I think it could, I think it could be. I you know, I've always had cultural hope for, <laughs> for, humanity. <laughs> for humanity. But I mean, it's like what? It's we just talked about art gigs versus gig gigs. Right. So. It always cracks me up when younger guys go, "I'm doing a show in the Biltmore lobby." And it's a fucking show. Come on, man. It's a show? Are you shitting me? <laughs> so shows don't pay shit. You go and you go and get your artistic nut, and right. then hopefully it weighs enough to get you through the next four nights where you're making three hundred a night or right. right. You know. But I don't know, man. It's You were the cat that always that would always say what art versus commerce. Well, it's the balance of art and commerce, right. I think. Right. Well, that's what we do. I manage I manage jazz artists, so talk about trying to ba- right. balance art and and you know nobody fucking listen. They I'm gonna I'm gonna do a record and I'm gonna shit on the piano and I'm gonna like it's right. like, dude, we we still have to. If you don't want to serve it up, it's fine. Make make the record and I quit because it's commission based <laughs> and you can right. make the record and never leave your house and go work at Dunkin' Donuts. But I'm saying. Right. Let's talk about how we serve up this art. Yeah. I don't think there's food and beverage guys interested in that. Yeah. It's a transient sort of job. It's a bottom yeah. line job. And, you know, as I got older, they got younger. So right. Right. I said to you, like, I remember having a conversation with the manager at the Biltmore. And I said, look, these guys are showing up in T-shirts and jeans. And then they'll stay home. And and we'll get some older cats with dress slacks, if that's what right. you want. But right. We're going to lose whoever's interested in this. Right. And they gotten younger. Their aesthetic is younger. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. you know, they, I don't know. I still get asked to play, you know, play 
high energy pop songs. That's yeah. yeah. And it's like, bro, you know what I do. You know what I do. That's not what I do. Yeah. And then anyway yeah yeah but like wh- why not just let this cat do what he wants well, to do like the chef's making like right. chingali like you know, he's making a boar's cheek burger and with <laughs> you know a reductions he gets to be he gets to be fucking van Creative. gogh right yeah why can't right let's let's see how it goes if you just leave this fucking guy alone right. and you just go man it and just do your excel spreadsheet and just right. shut the fuck and stay in your office right and if it's not working you'll hear about it and right. you can you can plug in a high energy you know right slack wearing you know 75 year old cat which i'm not that far away <laughs> you know what I mean? it's like it's like it, it's like <laughs> well i i lo- like t, t t so here's the thing too brian it's like tv is uh, why are there fucking tvs if i don't watch fucking this football game i'll stay home right and like or i'll go to a sports bar. i'll go to a sports bar it's like so why do we have tvs on i remember my partner at voce was like we need a tv i said you get a tv i'm walking <laughs> fuck you and your tv yeah, yeah. it's like and and it, it, yeah i just you know you want to do things i'll go back to it you want to do things in uh in good taste and mm-hmm. Food and beverage guys want shit that tastes good, except the chef gets right to serve you, you know, escargot burgers and shit, right. like, you know, <laughs> right. and pair it with a wine. I love that. We're going to pair it with a, uh, you know, a Bordeaux. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> you know. Well, this feels like a good time, speaking of. <laughs> to go home. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like a good time to. Uh, speaking of art and commerce to talk about Voce mm-hmm. and I know that that was, you know, kind of a, 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 a lifelong dream. And now you have the means, you found a partner, you found a space. I didn't have the means. <laughs> <laughs> Side note. <laughs> but you know, you, you had the vision, you were at a time, a, a place in your life, you, you, you know, all these things I can, yeah. I would only imagine have to really align to pull something like that off absolutely and um i'm wondering voce lounge uh well and maybe this is this is where we share the how we met because um voce lounge played a very large role in me becoming the professional musician that i am now um this must have been 2008 or 9 somewhere around there And I was out, uh, I was on the internet trying to find places to play. Uh, My band $10 Outfit was playing around town and I was really, I mean, think about that. That's in the heart of the fucking recession, right? I'm trying to find work, you know, and I'm trying to take my playing and my music to the next level. And, uh, And I stumble upon Voce Lounge. I'm immediately intimidated by the website because out front there's like Lamborghinis and fucking uh, Ferraris and shit. Uh, Later I find out it was all cardboard. Uh, No. (laughs) Fugazies. I'm like, oh shit. I mean, am I really like, I'm going, I'm going to swing for this one. You know, I'm going to fucking swing. And you, I, I message you and like that night, or like the next day, you email me back and you've done some research. You checked out some of the YouTube links. I'm like, hold on. First of all, that had never happened. No booking agent gave a fuck about a cold email, right? Yeah, yeah. But you you got it. 
you checked out the YouTubes, you, you saw something, and I happened to be playing at My Flores Cafe. Oh, I love that place, man. Right? I wish I wish I it wanted was to, to, I wanted to buy that place. Right? It was so fucking cool. It was super cool. And that joint upstairs, like you could uh, just have like a it was like an is like eighteen hundred square foot apartment, modern oh apartment. God. I'm like, yeah, I'll just I'm just, just gonna I'm gonna do this. <laughs> I would have left the sign, maybe change it to my last name and some sort of ego thing. <laughs> but it was like a it was like a Tuesday and um I had never met you, right? So I'm up there playing. I'm playing all my all my bullshit songs because I want to impress you when I think you walk in. Like good fucking luck, right? I don't know who you are. I never met but some cat walks in, is alone, sits at the bar, orders a drink, and kind of like leans over and, and is listening to the music. I'm like, I bet that's fucking Florio. So what I played my uh, Justin Timberlake song. I played uh, uh, Lauryn Hill, uh, X Factor, you know, songs that I, I think are maybe the ones that I sent you the links to of me playing it live or whatever. And I was really hopeful. And I walk over at a break and say, hey, are you, are you, uh, are you Mike? You know, and we start rapping and. And sure as shit, you hired me to 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 play at Voce Lounge, which had had been open. What when did you guys open? We opened. Uh, it we did the cold. Uh, is it called the cold? Uh, we did a uh, soft soft, soft opening yeah, yeah, yeah. in December, two uh, uh, twenty oh seven. Okay. okay, and we were not ready to be open, but really? we did. And then yeah, it was you know growing pains, but <laughs> right. I remember all of that. But Rachel Eckroth was on the Condi's band. Uh, the great singer songwriter yeah. keyboard, and she mentioned you. So when I got your email, I was like, "All right, let me check this oh, cat out." Oh, interesting. And I think we remember when we did that first record, we did that little documentary about. Yes, it. but you had something vibrational that I I was like, "Oh, this fucking cat's got a thing, man." Huh. I remember pulling people back like into the back room at Voce, going, "Check this cat out." Like, and then I went to hear you, and I said, yeah, all right. I didn't want to be a jazz room. I wanted to be huh. a real discerning listening room with with everything. Yeah. I, I would have eventually done country if it yeah. was like someone like Ray or somebody. Right, you know? right. And um, yeah, man, we, I went to My Florist, which was my fav- one of my favorite places in yeah. Phoenix. Cool old, yeah. cool spot, man. And you're up there, and I'm noticing who's checking you out and who's, you know, Eating who's a, salad a who's a philistine you know and, and it's like yeah it was it was a no-brainer and then i it, we booked you and you came with a drummer i came with i think we came with ten dollar office it was a, it was a trio and i was like and those guys were cool and everything was cool and i was like yeah man come back we don't i don't think we need the band yeah. but we we got a lot of people in that night i think i did a lot of emailing and said, yeah. let's get some people in to hear this cat and I remember telling Connie, this cat's got a thing, man. You know, it's a thing. And, and it was cool, man. And yeah. the, rest, the rest is history. <laughs> well, I, I was just telling the story the other day where you were like, a great show. Uh, we, I think I just want you to be solo. Well, then I was like shitting bricks because now I got to go do this solo. And, you know, maybe it took a couple times. And you're like, hey, why don't I just sit in? You know, and I'm thinking. Wait, just me and you? Yeah. And I'm thinking, I, well, he, he doesn't really know the tunes. I I don't have charts. I you know. This cat's managing an Italian restaurant. <laughs> right. I got some fucking Y.O. Goomba over here that just wants to play. Yeah, let me play drums. <laughs> I'm playing drums tonight. <laughs> and I'm singing that one tune. <laughs> but we're doing it in A. Um, so 
I was like, all right. And then went off, you know, and I was like, oh, this is cool, you know. And then you're like, hey, um, why don't we get Mel to, to yeah. you know. And I was like, I don't know, man, Mel. I don't. He doesn't know any of my tunes, you know. I don't. And you know, of course, fucking, I, I was like blown away. No, you, no, no. You, you came in. I said, come in this weekend. Connie Cole's playing. Come in, eat. I got you. And you come in, and we're up there. And we're we're having. I remember having a good night. And we're playing. I think we're playing a Stevie Wonder tune, and it's like off the rails. It's like insane. It's Rachel and and Mel. Jesus, and, what a band! And I walk over to you. and I go, "So, what do you think?" You go, yeah, I, I think I could do this, man. <laughs> yeah, I'd be really into it. <laughs> and so we did the trio. We did the trio for a while, and I think it was around. It must have been then, two thousand eight or nine. And you're like. Steve Gadd's coming in tonight for dinner. <laughs> How fucking crazy is that to even say? Yeah, right. Steve Gadd's coming in tonight, man. I'm going to yeah. ask him if he wants to sit in. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm like, I mean, of course I had heard of Steve Gadd. And again, I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. I'm like, what the fuck was my problem? Anyway, highlight of, I mean, I will tell this story on my fucking deathbed. Steve Gadd played, I don't know, we did six, seven, eight of my tunes. He did a set. Yeah, a full set with Mel. And I, I, I lost my shit. I mean, it was like, who can say that? It's crazy, right? Bro, our first New Year's, so we opened in December and we, and we opened New Year's Eve. And I said to my partner, I said, I didn't know much about the food and beverage side. I said, bro, we need to fix, we need to Mm. fix menu. Mm -hmm. It was all dupes. We didn't have a POS. Mm. And Gad's in there, and Joey DeFrancesco's in there, and it's like they're sitting in, <laughs> and we're packed. Oh it's like we built a monster we couldn't control. Oh my god! It's like everybody—I don't mean to interrupt you. No, every one of my musical heroes, and every one of my favorite New York Giants over the last twenty years yeah. found their way to Voce. Yeah, I mean it was insane. Steve Ferroni, Steve Gad, Brian Blade, Emilio Castillo from Tower of Power, Jesse Coulter. Clark Rigsby. Right. I mean, all right. these right. heroes just showed up, man. And when you think about it... Chick Corea. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was around for, what, three years? Three years. But the, the impact that that room had, I mean, not just on me, although it had a huge impact on me, but the, but the memory, a, three, a, a club that was only around for three years, people are still talking about it. Yeah. As like this, it was like the mecca. It was where you went, man. If you you made it, if you got to play on that fucking stage, man. Huh, that's yeah, that's cool. You know, we used to. I used to do these marquees in Word, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then go over to like Kinkos or, uh, and they'd blow them up to these big posters. And if 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 they didn't pixelate, I'd be thrilled, right? Right. And right. they'd go on that easel with the yeah. the book. The book lights. Yeah, yeah. And I remember this young cat. I don't remember who it was. He, he said, my dream is just to be on one of those signs. And I was, I thought in that moment, like, I get that, you know. Because yeah. I you know, I was flying by the seat of Connie, Lepore, my, we were flying by the seat of our pants. And, you know, no one liked, I mean, no one liked each other. I mean, I like Connie, but I'm just saying. Right, right. We were like button heads and it was just like. Right, right. We didn't realize that. Maybe if we would have focused harder, we could have 
and collaborated with some outside sources, we could oh. have weathered that storm. Well, you opened up a club in a huge recession. Well, we opened, yeah. The, so the first year was wonderful. There was the Super Bowl in town, oh. and we opened during the season, and yeah. yeah, the car auctions and spring training. Right. And then we started to feel that recession. And I remember walk, getting there on a Friday around 5, and about 8, 9, we were dead. And I was thinking, what the hell is happening? Yeah. And, you know, it was great owning the club because I'm like, we're not fucking playing. No one's here. Right, right. No. But, uh, yeah, I mean, of course you look in the mirror and go, what did I, what did I do wrong? And, and you know, I know, I know my part in it, but certainly, you know, that recession killed even guys that usually yeah. survive those things. Right, right. And um, it was tough, man. Yeah. It was tough. I, I you know... I gutted myself there. Yeah. You know, I, it was a strain on everything. It was a strain on a marriage and the household, right. children, yeah. you know, because, because like I said, that's a whole other gig. And now it's all just convoluted and all, yeah. you, you lose yourself. You know, yeah. you just sort of, I'm, this is a dream come true. And now it's, it's fucking over, you know, right. right. And that was tough. I mean, I'm, right. I'm past it now. I don't, I could give, I could really, I just think of the good stuff. Right. Well, that my next question was, what's kind of, can you give me like a highlight reel, a couple favorite memories oh, for yeah. you? Sure. Um, there was a few of them. So it was New Year's Eve 2007. We had been open a week. We weren't equipped to handle New Year's. And Steve Gad's in there. And Steve Gad comes in by way of Joey DeFrancesco. Uh -huh. And Steve, I think, had been living here. And my dad's still with us. And... We're in the back, and um, <laughs> and my dad walks over. Kid, you're packed tonight. I said, yeah. Hey, Dad, say hello to Steve Gadd. And my dad looks and goes, and Steve's, you know. A, a shorter dad cat. Was, yeah. yeah. Holy shit. This kid had your poster on his wall in his bedroom. And Gadd kind of looks at him and says, yeah, and now we're buddies. And, you know, every day in the hospital that I'd visit him, you know, as he was you know, uh, struggling, he would say, Gad, come in. I go, yeah, good guy. Good dude. Yeah. And Gad was great because Gad would show up in the middle of the day, like, like George Benson and go, he wouldn't want to talk about drums. Who the fuck? Yeah. He want to talk yeah. about fucking drums. Right. He want to talk about the calamari. When's the calamari delivered? How is it delivered? And he had all these great <laughs> questions about like, and I didn't even know. Yeah, Steve, Southwest Airlines shows up with a box with lobsters in it. And it was just great. And George Benson yeah. was the same way. He'd show yeah. up in his giant, Rolls Royce in the right. middle of the day, right? And come in, hey man, you know, <laughs> he'd have a couple Chevises, a couple Budweisers. I mean, one time there was, <laughs> we were tasting wine, and you know, you're supposed to spit it out. Right. <laughs> and George, man, God bless him, man. This is one of the greatest musicians in the history of American music. Yes, jazz, pop. Yeah, George is hitting wine, and he's like, "I'll be back later." I said, "George, do you?" Can I? And he's got that Rolls Royce that right. looked like a locomotive. Right. It was. So George, let me drive you home, and I'll come and get you. No, nah, man, I'm good. And he was. <laughs> and it was like, oh, it be it. When you, you remember Arnold McCuller? Yeah. So Arnold made his bones or makes his bones with James Taylor as yeah. a background singer. So we present Arnold. Ray Herndon's on that. Yeah, yeah. Danny yeah. Tomlinson's on that. And in the crowd that night was Steve Gadd, Steve Ferroni, drummer with Tom Petty and Duran wow. Duran. Jesse Coulter, the country person, 
country, whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think Emilio Castillo from Tower of Power. Yeah. All of these fucking heroes are in there, man. Damn. And I'm like, how did this fucking happen? Yeah. And Arnold McCuller, who's right. like a complete motherfucker. You yeah. Know? And there was one night we were playing. Rachel was still in the band. And Carol Gadd is in the dining room with Chick Corea. Jesus. Like, fucking Chick. I'm trying. I'm giving him food. I'm trying not to like soil myself because it's, it's like fucking Chick Corea. How does this even happen? That's but awesome. It was like a scene, man. Yeah. It fucking for sure was a scene. I remember <laughs> there was one guy that worked there. He was a legendary. He says to me, Mike, there's a guy at the front door. He wants to come in, but he's not dressed properly. And it's O.J. Anderson, 1990 New York Giants Super Bowl MVP. I feel bad. I just have I have no room for him. I just sat him on the stage. No shit. The fucking New York Giants, man. That's yeah. my guy. <laughs> but it, it just was like that. It was surreal. You yeah. Know? It was surreal, man. Yeah. I, yeah, Muhammad Ali. No shit. I mean, and you know, he's he's struggling at right. this point. And I remember Connie going, this one goes out to the champ. And he looked up and it was, he he would come in all the time. Wow. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal came in and he didn't want food. He wanted ice cream. So I had to run next door. <laughs> you know what I mean? But all, right the, all these cats, man, you know, yeah. it was, it was, it was, the it fucking, was a moment in time. It yeah. was, yeah. Yeah. And uh, people often ask me, would you do it again? I, and I would, but I, I would do it with maybe your money. Right. <laughs> it's going to be a very small club, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's going to be in my kitchen. Basically, this is the club. Right. Thank you so much for listening to So the Story Goes. If you like it, please subscribe. You can do that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Have a brother out. I appreciate you. Love you. Enjoy. When Voce closed, we were doing the band. Yeah. Uh, the Voce band. Voce Project band. We formulated the Laurel Canyon Laugh thing. Laurel Canyon. Um, and that was great. We and did then, some Europe stuff. Yeah, we went. That was amazing. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that I, I be... want. I want that back. Right. Because you sounded great. She sounded great. Yeah. It was just three LG. LG was just, Come on. he said like seven words in three weeks. He was a young cat. My favorite story is like we played the last date. I don't know where we were. We stayed in a hotel with a bathroom down the hall. I was freaking out. I don't know. That's right. But it's LG. Shared bathroom. So you and Connie are signing autographs or something. And LG and I go back to the car. And the back line that night was suspect. And, yeah. and he said to me, Mike, man, uh, you know, he is back yeah. then. That snare drum was like. It sounded, I don't know, man. He goes, that's it. He's that shit sounded like poo. <laughs> I fell out of the, my door. So when I fell on my knees, that was, yeah. I'd, I'd like to have that back too. Right. There is a version of uh, uh, your tune, Houth in These Walls, uh-huh. Uh-huh. that you broke. That, that's just fucking great, man. Yeah. I mean, she sounded fucking great. You sounded great. Yeah. And, and you and LG covered it, man. Yeah, no bass. Right. Yeah, and it was—he wasn't even really kicking. Nah, it was just kind of. We were trying to figure out how to play without right a bass. The player other just, half of the rhythm section, yeah, exactly. You know? No low end, right? Yeah, that it was a great. Felt, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I'll have to dig that up because that. Uh, yeah, we have a couple from that, um, but we played some great fucking rooms. Got just got a taste of it. I, I, I'd like to. I like to do. That's a do-over. I like to have. The, I like to go back and relive that and maybe approach it a little different. Yeah, 
Yeah, that was uh, that was a time, man. Yeah. So um, so that happened, and then yeah, Connie played some gigs, and I started booking rooms, and you know, just trying to figure it out. I I came up with this company that was basically a management company that wasn't commission based. So like you know, right? Fuck you, pay me, right? <laughs> and it's like, uh, and. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then as we got further along, I um, I stumbled onto a couple other a couple of other ways to sort of yeah be creative, but you know make a living, right? So you know, and now we're here, and now you're getting back into music. I don't know. I'm not sure. I would say that, right? <laughs> well, you know, but you know, first time out in a couple of years and, yeah. and playing with the great Johnny D. Francesco, yeah. and well, I mean, so yeah, so. We all suffered through the pandemic, and I'm out trying to. I was kind of on the shelf, but I'm out trying to do other things. And all of a sudden, Johnny has built a house in mm-hmm. in Arizona, Maricopa, and he's got a gig at uh, Cockatiels. Cockatiels. Yeah. And I said, John, man, I'm play. I don't even know. You know, there's a great line in the first Rocky movie where he gets the shot. And he's there's just some diatribe happening because my legs ain't working, nothing legs ain't work, nothing's working, and that's how I felt. And we talk about it all the time, John and I. So I did a set over there and I felt like, man, that was horrible. <laughs> and then he says, Mike, we were at Casimir's, which I was with Matt Weddle for two or three years on yeah. Sundays. Yeah. Yeah, you guys yeah, you guys are like a long residence. Yeah, there. that was great. And uh, you so and Ted and, and Ted and Alex Kine. Oh yeah, no shit. Fucking great Alex Kine. Yeah. Man. And uh, he, and so we did that Friday, and John likes percussion, so I said, we'll get Danny, and, you know, if, you know, some, if my arm falls off, at least Danny, <laughs> and it was cool, it was cool, and then Shars on Sunday, and I felt a little better, and um, it was, it was cool seeing everybody, and, yeah. you know, I've seen people in years, man, and I felt like, okay, well, this is <laughs> kind of how I used to play, you know? <laughs> but uh, but it was cool. And you know, Johnny's the kind of cat that um, well, you guys go way back, right? So it's thirty like years riding a bike, you know. Yeah, but not in a bike race, right? Right. <laughs> you know, right. As long as we can go five miles an hour. <laughs> I remember at Cockatiels, but he counted off the last two hundred to set like a shuffle at about one twenty. I'm like, how do you a fucking? And he likes a certain he likes a certain thing that uh-huh. involves like fast muscle twitch and i'm like i think i cut that tempo in half by the end of the thing but uh certainly um yeah i mean john's thing is about a hang right you hang and then you go continue to hang on the stage right and you communicate on the stage yeah and so you know that's the fun part of that but i um yeah i don't know i don't know where i'm i don't know what i'm gonna do yeah you know i'm just kind of kind of a strange time i think for everybody maybe yeah i feel like we're sort of all like okay well i th- i think it's uh, it, it's like a big reassessment yeah. like, they, 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 like the world is reassessing yeah. its decisions or whatever and, you know? and, and it's not like an arrival point it's not the new normal it's sort of like the evolving normal right right you know? i'm here to tell you about rare disease renegades Rare Disease Renegades is a nonprofit, it's a 501c3, founded by my friends Billy and Michelle. It's a charity 
created to accelerate science. In 2020, Billy and Michelle's son, Caffrey, was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. This is a rare disease caused by a genetic mutation that renders muscles unable to recover from activity. It starts with the legs, then all limbs, and ultimately impacts the lungs and heart. There's no cure for this life-limiting disease. Caffrey is going to be 12 this May, and we need science to move a bit faster for him. I hope that you take a moment to check out rarediseaserenegades.org and find a way to support this worthy cause. This shit's getting real. Right. Cat's got a wood microphone. <laughs> <laughs> That's heavy, man. I've never seen a wood microphone. Well, it's like kind of like you would have in a cabin. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's like a it's lot. Rustic. Like, yeah, uh, we're gonna put. We we got a cabin in Prescott. We, we need wood microphones. <laughs> this should be wood. <laughs> I like it. It's wood. <laughs> Tell me about. <laughs> All right. So you you mentioned uh, Johnny D. Francesco. Yeah, it's kind of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. His brother, Joey, yep. Yep. Um, you worked with uh, for a number of years. Yeah, from, I think, 05 through 08, 07. Managing. Managing, yeah. Yeah. But can you share... Actually, I, I reached out to Johnny when I said that you were going to be on the podcast, and he wanted you to uh, relay that story of going to Philly. Oh yeah. So we, so, uh, I met Connie and Johnny right about like within weeks apart. And so, uh, his father, John was going to record his first record. And that record was with, um, I can't remember the label's name, but we was going to record at Rudy Van Gelder's studio in Englewood cliffs, New Jersey. And that's where a lot of the famous blue note records were cut. I mean, it's, you walk in that place and you can just, it's kind of like what, it's kind of like Rigsby's place now. Uh, so many uh, people have gone through there. There's like this vibe and you can feel right, it. Right. And, um, well, you, you immediately get a, a sense yeah. of the weight of yeah. it. Right. Yeah. You know and that's I mean? like, like Clark's place now yeah. feels that way. Cause so many guys, 40 right. years. Right. So, um, he said, come back with me. And I felt comfortable. He says, you stay with my mom and dad at their place. I'm like, well, okay. She's like, yeah, no brainer. I'm into it. Let's go. Yeah. So (laughs) there's a lot of correlation between the way I grew up and my family and his family, especially my father with the ball busting and the, (laughs) and the, and you know, the sort of humbling for, you know, (laughs) so like, we're like John back, John back then had the little ponytail, you know, that kind of, And he gets in the car, like the first thing Papa John says is like, what are you, a fucking samurai? It's like, I'm like, oh, man. And then they're talking, they they love, they're hot rodders. They right. love cars. They build cars. And yeah. some they're talking about a distributor problem. And Joey weighs in, you know, and Joey was a kid, man. 
and people forget that he was a kid because he was so brilliant. And it's right. like Joey weighs in and Pop looks like, what do you know about distributor caps? If I gave you a distributor <laughs> cap, you'd eat cereal out of it. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it was just like, I said, it's going to be a long fucking week, man. <laughs> but we still talk about that week. Yeah. I mean, and going to Van Gelder's and, and. So you cut that record with them? No, I I was just observing. Oh, just hanging. Yeah, it was uh, John I, Byron Landon, the great Philly drummer that was with Joey for years. Joey, uh, I'm not sure. John played guitar, and you know, I mean, just ball busting. And my, one of my favorite lines is Joey was producing the record, and John was uh, angst out about what amp he needed a specific mm. amp, and Joey said, you know, I don't know anything about Angie because we're well, he says you're the producer produce an amp you know i mean just like like this and you know it's like to be that funny and to be that quick yeah it, it, there's an intellect yes. involved with that you know and A so it's like we're like matt goodman sent me this bill burr thing uh, yeah. routine today i'm like that's the Francesco brothers uh-huh. and and pop they're that quick they're yeah. that you don't, and that's just lethal, bro. And you do not want to engage. That's no. like, yeah, okay, let's spar. Let's not. No. You know what I mean? You know. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> but they also are very warm and they'll, they, you know, they'll, you know, I mean, I went to, we did a radio date with Joey and you know, it was some low money thing. It was radio and he said, Mike, let's just wash out the whole fee and rent a van and get the Bonda brothers and Tommy and we'll just all go and we'll go hang. We'll go to dinner. We'll, and he calls me out on stage. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking play with Joey. And thankfully, he called something to my wheelhouse. But And then we do the radio interview, and he involves me. You know, he's wow. like, and it's yeah. just, but they, uh, those guys, they taught me how to listen differently to different things. In fact, uh, a lot like my dad, they ruined a lot of jazz for me. Uh-huh. You know, like, right. that cat sucks. And it's like, right. <laughs> but yeah, those were great times, man. And those are, that's a great family. Man. You know? And, and, and what was that relationship like with you and Joey? Because then, like, what what like what did managing Joey look like at that time? Well, management is weird, man. Because for for me, it started with Connie. So, and she was very malleable. She was like, "Well, what do you think?" And what you know? And I would just run creatively with some of my ideas, and she would always be up for whatever. Um, and then you have relationships. So you know, I'm married to the person I'm managing. And that's mm-hmm. a whole other thing. Right. And Joey and I were friends. So, you know, we have an intimate knowledge of our lives. And so you have to sort of separate that when mm-hmm. you're talking about business. And I was never happy just being an admin kind of guy, just like you know, putting tour books together. And I was really interested in... um Okay, you're going to record this kind of album, and where we, what are we going to do with it, and who's going to be interested in it, and maybe we should, hmm. you know, you're always trying to expand your audience, and I, I wanted, you know, I took realistic approaches to that. Who's interested in this music? Let's hmm. just, and so, the dynamic was cool, and we had a wonderful time, and we did good stuff. Uh, but, you know, it's hard because you feel like you're interfering with the art. You're inserting mm. yourself in the art. Mm. And I, call, I call it the jazz wife syndrome. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and you don't want to do that. But at the same time, my job is to find out what's happening on the street. Right. And then he says, I want to do this. And I go, well, how do I reel that in and Interesting. take this money from the label and, and 
we're, at this point we're making expensive business cards because the, the business is changing and like well how do we how do we you know how do you factor in your attrition rate and and oh god and move stuff forward and so i mean you're always kind of rubbing there's always a rub because you're trying to you're 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 the liaison between the label and and you know you're trying you know right. you're trying to just find your spot and right. it's tough management right. is tough you know, you got an artist that comes to you going, I want to make an album with, uh, you know, I want to, I want to mic up some snails and I want to, and right. I want like, dude, I'm like, who's going to be fucking interested in that? I mean, do you, are, right. I, I got fucking bills to pay, man. You want to, you know, you, you know, right. so. Well, art and commerce. Art and commerce, baby. That's the, that's the, that is the byline of this podcast, art and commerce. I got you. Tell me about, um, your relationship with the great Jimmy Smith. Oh man, that's so much fun. Uh my dad had his record, so Jesus. I mean, how was that? That's a that's a head trip yeah. in and of itself. Well, Joey had a relationship with him of sorts. They had made one record, I believe, live at Bimbo's in San Francisco. And he was here. He was living here, and I believe a relative was managing him. And I don't think the relative was doing a great job. Mm-hmm. So he ends up in the care of Bob Clayton, who owned Bobby C's mm. on Washington. And I get a call from Bobby C because I have Joey, and he introduces himself. And Bobby Clayton, Bob Clayton was a heavy guy. He was in politics. He had worked for the Clinton administration. He had worked for, you know, it was a, sort of a bipartisan consultant. I'm not quite sure what he did, but he's a very brilliant guy and and. And he said, I'm managing Jimmy Smith now. Can you help me? I said, mm. I'll be right down. Mm. So I went down, and, and that's how I met Jimmy. And, of course, Joey would go sit in, and George Benson, everyone would go to Bobby C's. And so Joey had the idea to record with Jimmy again. Sort of like a last hurrah. I mean, we didn't know Jimmy was in poor health. No one kind of knew what was wrong with him um, uh, medically or physically. So... Uh, we had this idea to do this record and, and we did it over at Clark's mm. and it's like the bo- it that was a surreal event. Right. And it was very angsty and rushed because I mean, honestly, I felt like I didn't know if Jimmy was even going to get through it. Oh shit. So and, you, yeah. You, you saw it though. I was there. Yeah. And in hindsight, it was like, if we had figured out what was wrong with him, we could have addressed it, <clears> which addressed was it. like a sugar diabetes. kind of oh, thing. Oh yeah. Shit. But that session was like, I think James Moody was on that. The Bonda Brothers, Steve Ferroni. Wow. Um, all these great guys. And it was like one of the first times Clark had ever just... I mean, Jimmy's in the studio smoking. No one smokes at Tempest, man. No. <laughs> you get you get yep. thrown out and you're A never life, coming back. Lifetime right? ban. <laughs> <laughs> lifetime ban, right? So it was just... Um, you know, we catered a bunch of food in and all these guys are sitting around and I'm thinking, this is one of those sort of Sound City moments. The neighbors don't know what's happened. No one right. knows that this little adobe house on right. William Street in Tempe is hosting these legends. Wow. But we got through it and um, the record was called Legacy. And uh, right as it was a dropping, Bob calls me and, and, and Jimmy had passed. Oh. And I remember calling John Burke at Concord Records and interrupting him and telling him that and then calling Joey on the road and he laughed. He was like, what? I said, yeah, man. And then CNN, the New York Times, my phone was blowing up 
because I sort of was somehow yeah. the de facto sort of, is that a word? Yeah. Contact. Right. And it was like, I, I don't really know anything. Wow. But Jimmy was, Jimmy was, Jimmy was cool, man. He was a ball buster. He's a Philly cat. Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, John Coltrane was in a band. Philly, man. Ooh. Cats went to New York, but Philly is a scene. We went to Jimmy's one night. We were taking him to Casimir's. This is 2006, seven, five. And he gets over there and he's feeling good. He must have eaten well. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's mm-hmm. and Jimmy talking and um and he, he he was cool, man. He said, Mike, man, come in the bed. He's getting dressed. Mike, come in the bedroom. And his his shit is out. Look at this. And he's I'm like, oh god damn. I'm like, come on, Jimmy. And he's just laughing. And we go to Casimir's and he lights a cigarette and we and we we get thrown out. The great Jimmy Smith gets thrown out of Casimir's, right? Oh man, what a time that was, man! What a time that was! <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, yeah so. just a, just a cat from another era, right? Yeah, just a cat that changed the course of an instrument. That right? That took what was happening, and he was a a bit heavier harmonically hmm. than some of the other guys that that were all great that came before him. But managing uh, managing as a whole is interesting, like I said, because. You have personal relationships and, the, right. and marriage. And it's right. like, you don't know, you have to pick your spots. Like, mm. you know, I had Ron Blake, I had Nelson Rangel, I had Connie, I had, and later on I had like Rachel for a minute. And and it's like, well, you want to, you, you have to bite your tongue because you're like, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not sure <laughs> this is going to work out in the world. So right. what do, what do you want to do? You don't, Clark taught me a very recently Clark has taught me about the process because I just wanted to record and get it done and packaged and get Clark is like, no, nah, man, what we do is the process huh. where this thing goes is none of our business. I mean, huh. fuck it. Right. That makes you more present. And I wish I would have thought more like that back in, in all of this back uh, Connie's records, uh, Ron Blake's records, Joe, I wish I would have gone up. Oh, this is why we do it to enjoy this moment right now. Hmm. We're not caring about mastering or packaging or artwork or hmm. you know, who we're hiring for radio. Hmm. But, um, I, I'd like to have that back, hmm. you know? Um, but managing's a bitch. I feel like it's, it's, it's similar to booking in the way that it's pretty thankless. You know what I'm saying? It's so fucking thankless. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you, like you're the person behind the person. You're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, you're always, well, you're the, yeah, you're the fall guy. You know, if shit isn't going right, it's my manager or it's my booking agent. They're not doing enough. They're not putting me in the right rooms. Yeah. Well, what, what product are you giving them and vice versa and all that shit? It's been years, so, and the game has changed, but back then... If more artists are aware of the collective, mm. like like a booking agent, you think this is fun? <laughs> he he believes in what you're doing, right, right. and he's willing to put his ass on the line for fucking 10% right. of the gross, right. so you can go play at some fucking place in Copenhagen. Like, right. If you start to see the humanity in that, mm. in the manager's role, in the booking agent's role, in the, the tour manager's role... 
Mm-hmm. You know, in some tours, it's just that guy and he's setting everything up. When you start to see that from a different point of view, well, I saw it from a different point of view, but a lot of them didn't. Well, you had the you had the benefit of having both experiences. Yeah. You and were behind the kit and then in front. Yeah, you also when you're not behind when you're not on an instrument, you have to you suppress that a lot of times. Right. Let's have a reunion, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, if we just put this fuck Dude, we toured <laughs> we toured Copenhagen for three weeks speaking in English accents. <laughs> And we could not get Lamar Gaines to participate. He's like, fuck that. He was a kid. He's like, fuck that. Oh, you motherfucker. These, these, these motherfuckers are crazy. crazy. <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine uh, what was going through his head. We had so many inside fucking jokes and just bombing through Denmark and that little rental car and he's playing keyboards that you we're trying to figure out what that's when that's when the brush this thing happened I'm like I can't sit here and play sticks it doesn't make sense oh no shit yeah it's like we need to do something else she yeah. had that so she had a hit with that blood sweat and tears tune I said we're gonna play it like a fucking ballad man it's like on YouTube it'll never die I wish it would right but it's like it's like yeah, we need to do something needs to change. Right. And the last thing I wanted him to do was kick bass. We sound right. like a lounge act, you know. Right. But um I like to have that back too. <laughs> that I'm tour. telling you, man. We're go- we're going to put it together. We'll put it together. <laughs> Dude, you cats are playing pool at that bar. I don't know where we where we got into some town early. Yeah. And I'm sitting there I'm drinking Fernet Branca at like, you know, 9 a.m. The guy, you guys, are you guys bored? Of course, everyone speaks English. It's right. a small nation and they have to, you know, they're completely advanced. <laughs> and it's like, you guys should take the shuttle over sw- to Sweden. I'm like, you cats want to go over to Sweden? Why don't we go over to Sweden? It's like surreal, right? You've been there long enough to go. All right. Crazy shit. I appreciate your time, man. Great Thanks for having you. me. I, I want to I want to play music with you again. We should do that. All right, man. I appreciate you and the body of work. <laughs> Here's the body of work. And a shout Cheers. out to Matt Goodman, <laughs> who encouraged me to do this. Not mm. really, but he did. Not really, but he did.